Water actually tastes better when you drink with two hands. It really does. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I'm watching you do it, and if it tastes better to you, that's great. I, I was going to make a, a, an offhand political comment, but maybe I'll skip it and just let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why kids stay young. It keeps you young. I don't know what it is. It's something about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> speaking about weirdness, um, actually, good weirdness though. I'm, I'm actually reading through just because we like recommending you know, books, novels, all kinds of things to encourage people to get inspired for, for their playing. But I'm reading through the, the huge, like 200 page graphic novel on the mirror universe comic books um, that that were presented, uh, published by IDW Publishing. Oh my goodness. If anybody wants to understand the mirror universe, read that graphic novel. Really, really puts in, and my favorite character, both in, one of my favorite characters in TNG, but definitely my favorite character in the graphic novel is Reginald Barkley. Oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. He's yeah. he's so underserviced on TV. <laughs> I was so happy when when Voyager wrote him into several episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, so we'll see how that works. Okay, so welcome everyone to another Continuing Conversations. I'm Michael Dismuke, a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG, and I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. Also, we have with us the amazing Jim Johnson. Jim Johnson, I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modiphius Entertainment. Also science fiction and fantasy writer, but uh, mostly here tonight to talk with Michael about the wonderful RPG uh, Star Trek Adventures that we're responsible for and uh, just continuing to grow week after week, month after month, release after release, all for you to play with and enjoy. So hopefully you're digging it. I'm excited. And since it's all about uh, tonight, you know, we, we, we've talked two weeks ago about the command division supplemental rule book. Last week, you talked about the operations division, having us so much fun geeking out. Me and Jim could spend three hours talking about one book coming up with stories. Today, mm -hmm. we're focusing on the sciences division supplement rule book. So to honor it, I will be drinking water with two hands all night. <laughs> It's all about experimentation and, and and boldly going where no other water drinker has gone before. All right. So um, first of all, Jim, if we're going to be jumping into the science division book, I am starting right away with the opening spread of the sciences book. So I'm going to go ahead and open it up here because people have got to see this. Yeah, let me yeah. get it. Let me get it into two-page spread form if I can. I should have mm -hmm. prepared this, but I'm not that slick or smart sometimes. So I'm just <laughs> going to go ahead and share um, what I'm showing here. Let me go ahead and share screen because I want people. I'll describe what I'm what I'm sharing. I could get one page up so far. Can you see that, Jim? Uh, yep. Okay, fantastic. So I got that. So this is just a one one half of a two-page spread. Mm -hmm. um, this is the art in the science division book. The only way I could explain it, it amazing, it's almost inexplicable. Um, so it's it's really a conceptual, metaphysical, artistic uh, view of 
the universe from the Star Trek vantage point, whether it be bioforms, life forms, geometric shapes, characters from different time, space. How would you describe this amazing piece of artwork that opens up the science division? Yeah, when, when I first saw it, I thought it was uh, it was MC Escher meets uh, Star Trek, basically. Um, and uh, I think I thought it was fantastic. Like I, I didn't uh, I, at the time this book came out or was being developed. I was an editor and writer. And uh, I, did, I wasn't involved in this particular book all that much. I was working on um, a couple of other books at the time, I think. And Sam Webb was still the, um, the line manager at the time. And so he, he commissioned this one. And uh, I don't think I've actually gotten a story uh, from Sam about what, what was behind this. But clearly, it's, uh, it's uh, um, very metaphysical and very kind of trippy. Uh, very much inspired by M.C. Escher, for sure, because of the, yeah. you know, looking at the stairways and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But I thought it was really cool because it just it presents like I look at this uh, and, I, and I do look at it quite a bit, actually, because I, I got my uh, I got my Star Trek books right next to my computer uh, when I'm working. And if I need some inspiration, I'll just grab a book and flip through it. Uh, and invariably, I always come back to the science book and this piece of art because it, it just tells me how much potential is wrapped up in Star Trek. Like all the weird, amazing, fascinating things that you can come up with is all alluded to in this uh in this picture. Yeah, it makes me raise the question in my mind as I look at this, like, what is our universe comprised of? Where does reality and fantasy end? Where does yeah. the mind and physicality start? You know, it's just, just a to me, again, one day I'll write a story just based off that artwork. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, really, I was just looking at it. Like, there's a whole campaign. Like, you could do a whole campaign explaining every little component of that of that piece of art. Like, how did all that stuff come together? And and like the big the big dramatic finale would be like all the multiverse converging yes. into uh, into a big storyline or something. Yeah, and who are the you know each one of the characters too? I was trying to identify them as I look at them, and who are they? Some of them are repeated twice. I don't know if you mm -hmm. noticed that. Some of them are repeated twice. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, in fact, some of them are repeated three times um, in there. Mm. If you notice it, there's one gentleman who is holding a blade. He's shooting a phaser. He's in a shootout. He's a working computer uh, console with another female, and he's standing there in Kirk's tunic. And I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know if you noticed that, but again, I pick stuff apart like that. Um, mm. And looking at like wh where could the story go, and I think that that's a perfect introduction to the science division supplement mm -hmm. book. It's really um, when it all comes down to it, Starfleet and the mission is a scientific mission. It's an exploratory mission, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, it's not. It's not a war mission, right? You know, it's it's not just about flying through space. It's about pushing mankind to its boundaries, mm -hmm. and so hence. What an introduction for the science division book that we're talking about today. Yep. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into it, Jim. When you think about the science division book, what's one of your um, general highlights, 10,000 feet highlights? I mean, I, it, you know, in, in my world, in my worldview opinion, like S S Star Trek is science fiction. And science is half of that. Right? It's all about whether it's real science or quasi-science or plausible science or whatever. Science of some degree, whether it's a soft science like anthropology or archaeology or the hard sciences, they're all in Star Trek somewhere. Like every every almost every episode has some sort of underpinning to science. Mm -hmm. And um, what what better book to to start or not even to start, but to continue churning up ideas 
for science-based stories and for science-based characters than something like this. I mean, it just builds on everything that we had in the core book uh, where we talked about science and planets and physics and uh, the scientific method and all this stuff and just expands on it. So if you're playing a science character or a medical character or a, um, or a counselor, this, this is, this is the book for you. I mean, this is, this has got so much stuff in it um, that I, I know like of all the division books, well, okay, so Command is the number, is the most popular because it's got more starships in it. Um, but I think this is the, the close number second. It might even be on on the level with uh, a Command because because Star Trek is science, right? I mean, fifty five years worth of Star Trek science is all baked in here. So this is this is a, just a wealth of material for you to to use. Yeah, and this one is only one hundred forty pages. Honestly, when it comes to science and Star Trek, this could have been a two thousand page volume easily encyclopedia because. Mm-hmm. There's no limit to the sciences. I mean, if you like something in the universe, it is its own science. Everything can be studied, whether it's a light bulb to a button to a solar flare. You could study that forever. Um, So I want to tell people that the sciences division, when I go through it, it's the principles of how scientists think. It's the principles of the scientific method. Um, And it's just scratch. Again, don't restrict yourself to what's listed in this book. You can do whatever you want. But this book just gives you it whets your appetite to everything that could open up in Star Trek. So so let's talk about the departments first. Let's jump into chapter two, Jim. and there's two divisions to science that this book focuses on. Uh, share that with us. Uh, two divisions of sciences. Yep. So you got your science, science, science. Uh, so the science division has sciences as a department, and then medical as a department. And then medical is further broken down, if you so choose, into uh, into medical doctors and uh, counselors, uh, especially in the next gen or later series. But uh, you could have a counselor in other areas of play if you want to. Yeah. And doctors, you know, the term doctor, I like to clarify just because when I was a kid, I didn't understand it. Doctor does not mean medical sciences only. Doctors mm-hmm. are, are people who have taken a level of expertise in, ex, uh, in, in any kind of science. So on in, in our game, we have doctors who are doctors of sciences and astrophysics. Um, so keeping that in mind, really the people who go into the sciences, if they're bridge officers, are really at the top of their game. Wouldn't you say? They're probably like some of the best. We think about Spock, of course, who's undeniably probably the best, maybe one of the best temporal physicists and physicists out there, you know, or, or we think about Seven of Nine, who definitely should have been a science officer at some point or could have been a science officer at some point on cybernetics. Um, so if you're choosing this kind of character, whether it's medical or or any kind of sciences, you might be the Federation's leading expert on that subject, correct? Sure, absolutely, possibly. possibly. I mean, you think about the 21st century where people are encouraged to learn for the sake of learning, right? You have people with multiple doctorates and multiple degrees and multiple lifetimes of experience i mean you think like jed zia dax mm-hmm. even though she was 20 something years old at the beginning of ds9 she was a brilliant scientist in her own right even before being joined with the with the dax symbiote and so um you are potentially among the top in your field and you've chosen to join starfleet and go do stuff out you know literally out in the field right. <laughs> the, gal- the galactic field right but uh, yeah yeah it's- i mean you're, you're a brilliant you're a brilliant scientist you're not just a I mean, you could certainly be a, a, a um, I don't even know what the term is, um, a, a young scientist working on their doctorate or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's just, 
as well, some scientists too take command. I want to keep in mind that yeah. two of our favorite captains are scientists. Janeway touts herself as a warp theorist and, yeah. uh, you know, quite, quite accomplished astrophysicist. Jean-Luc Picard is an archaeologist who almost, who, who got offered uh, to lead his own expeditions that would have been just as glorious as being the captain of the Enterprise. So, and, so uh, Burnham, Burnham primarily a scientist as well. Oh, totally true. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She is. She's a, a xenoexobiologist or something. Xenobiologist. Z- no, xenoanthropologist. She's a xenoanthropologist, right? So, so even if you are a uh, scientist and you say, "Well, I want to play a captain," that doesn't. That's not a conflict. It depends on really your ship's mission profile and the kind of project profiles you're getting. So. Right. You could be super creative if you want to. If everybody says I want to play a scientist one on your on your gaming group, one of those scientists could be the captain, yeah. for a various amount of reasons. So don't restrict Absolutely. yourself, um, you know, what by the career tracks. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and so again, there's some review of of different things scientists can do um, in exploratory divisions they could do survey missions first contact protocol scientific mystery protocols lost starship protocols temporal mission protocols again a lot of meat in order to help you create your stories um anything else about that that you want to highlight jim uh just you know yeah again just you know like you would like with the operations book and even the command book there's just a wealth of potential here to like if you want to come up with whether you're a player or a game master, want to come up with story ideas for your group and your and your ship to uh, explore, you could hang a whole campaign off of some of these uh, some of these ideas. Like maybe you're you're attached to the Department of Temporal Investigations, and all you do is time stuff. Maybe you're on a time ship. Maybe your ship is just especially uh, equipped with uh, um, uh, experimental technology that you could pull out of the operations book and drop in here and, and include the science angle on it. Um, some yeah, of the I mean, just uh, more cool ideas here, really, more than anything else. Yeah, some of the details that go into, which I appreciate, was it went into detail a little, a little bit of how science vessels work, also science outposts. Everyone's heard about how much I love a regular one, and I really yeah. wish I could pick that place apart. Regular one has fascinated me since I was seven years old watching Rathacon. Um, and so I really appreciate that. And other um, great institutes are mentioned in here, like we hear the Daystrom Institute a lot. So we get a little blurb about the Daystrom Institute, including notable met, uh, notable um, characters, notable members of the Daystrom Institute um, mm-hmm. and other Federation science organizations. I think about Picard, where in season one, the Daystrom Institute played, they name dropped that a lot. So you could have a whole game around missions that those kind of members have to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, we could write TV shows off all this. <laughs> all right um how would you um we, we we talked about it several episodes ago there's a whole section here about medical officers jim is there any reason to be bored if you're a medical officer let's repeat what we said last time maybe about no <laughs> there is there is no excuse for being bored in a star trek game there there is just so much potential for your character to be doing something i mean just look at what any of these series any of the episodes the starfleet starfleet officers are doing things they're always doing something they're you shouldn't be sitting around waiting for something to happen. You should be out doing it. Uh, like literally every Starfleet officer is a scientist mm-hmm. in some degree, right? You may not be your primary focus, but you've got to have the science background because like you could be, you know, you could be the tactical officer, but what happens if all of a sudden you're the only person on the bridge and some sort of disaster, you've got to figure stuff out. You've got to, you may be the one faced with the scientific anomaly 
and you're going to have at least the basic understanding of how physics and geometry and applied theoretical astronavigation works. So you got to you got to have the theory because all Starfleet all Starfleet officers are brilliant to some degree, and that's kind of cool. Um, but anyway. Um, I digress. Yeah, and Beverly, no, and I, I, I mean, I love the episode when Beverly Crusher in the future, she's the captain of her own Olympic class, I think yeah. Starship it was, yeah. which, which again is focusing that, yeah, people want to view Starfleet as, as a Navy, but that's, that's just a small portion of what they do. They're constantly going on scientific exploration missions. So it's really what your crew during your session zero wants to make of your game there's adventure to be found no matter where you're at in the universe mm-hmm. uh, and i really appreciate going on to um talking about how to develop the characters in chapter 3.1 where it talks about that that quest to find not new life and new civilizations will never leave you bored um and it talks about how to create science characters which of course which has been done in the other division books it gives you a whole new bunch of focuses my favorite thing um mm-hmm. that you could focus on um with this did you have a favorite focus that came up in this book that you had seen starting on like page uh, 36 there's a whole bunch of new focuses listed just for science characters were there any that stood out to you um well i'm always a fan of archaeology but uh, getting into the kind of the weird funky ones you got photonic applications Photon, like just the, the phrase photonic applications just makes me makes me happy for a weird reason like then that's all about holographic technology and uh and holograms so like i'm sure barclay like we, you were talking about barclay earlier he'd be all over that kind of action um uh you know unified th- field theory temporal mechanics uh warp theory quantum mechanics i mean these are these are big brain kind of concepts that are out there that you can find all kinds of ways to fold and mold into a uh, into a story in fact I, I know you've talked about these before yeah um, well the one i like that, that i one of the skills that i think is overlooked a lot by players of star trek adventures is l- listed here in a focus and that's deflector operations mm. deflector is used I'm, I'm gonna risk to say deflectors are mentioned and used more in star trek than phaser arrays i'm gonna <laughs> risk that statement yeah. and say that that the deflector is this amazing piece of miracle technology that can do so much in star trek and yet how many i'm going to challenge all you players in gaming groups right now how many of you have a specialist in deflector operations this thing um you know when it comes to game terms i i usually overlay it into structure if you're doing a role it's going to be structure and science structure and engineering mm-hmm. it could be structure and con it could be structure um and medicine depending on how you're using it maybe to irradiate a planet and get rid of a get rid of a disease on a planet um so to me deflector operations is one of the cooler most underused focuses that's mentioned here in the science division for the first time nice nice and uh, I'll add because, because like you know, again, this chapter provides a wealth of new options for focuses and talents for for science characters and also medical characters. So, like, if the stuff in the core book wasn't enough to uh, to give you what you need to make your character unique and interesting, hit this for more focuses and for more talents. Um, I will say that this book has has the talent that has the my most favorite title of a talent is in this book, which I just, like, I read it and I was like, oh, I love this. I, I just love the concept of this talent. And that's, uh, it's a science talent on page, uh, what am I, 39, I guess? I can't read the text. Um, it's baffling briefing. I it, love that it, one. It gives you the ability to use your science uh, 
um, discipline instead of command when you're in a social conflict. And I just I just love the concept of this scientist getting caught up in the middle of a, of a situation and they rely on their science and their techno babble to just completely confuse their their adversary. <laughs> you know, just, just the, the fact that it's a t- the title of the talent is baffling briefing. I just I just love it. It just it made me so so happy. <laughs> I'm gonna have to point out some of the art too that's equal okay. on the same page. I'm gonna share this picture right here. Can you up oh, let's move it so you can see it. Can you see this art piece here? Yep. Okay. I love visit caught alien species. They're very rarely seen in Star Trek. Our transporter mm-hmm. chief is Bizet Cot. And so I was so happy to finally see this character here as a science officer. Mm-hmm. So great job to whatever amazing artist when it found this obscure alien species, which hopefully one day I get to write a whole story about because I just love how they look. <laughs> They're my Kermits of the Star Trek universe, I think. Awesome. <laughs> so good, good job on the art uh, there, I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, so again, a lot of fun stuff. Again, I, I, we got to say, don't limit yourself to these focuses and talents. Get even more creative. They're just samples to kind of spark the imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing goes into the medical skills. Um, you get really detailed on the medical focuses here, which include like uh, anesthesiology, dentistry. That would be interesting to see a dentist story. I, I, I put mm-hmm. places. I really like myself, um, you know, and then you can talk about the one you like the best, Jim Addies. I liked imaging systems. I thought that was a brilliant focus that's introduced into the medical game here. Like that could go so many different places. I mean, think about it. If you picture a sick man star, in, in Star Trek, you always see that screen above everyone's head with the little body there that's scanning whatever they're scanning. Right. And who's the person who invented, maintains, and is an expert on that? So I just thought that was a really cool focus. What, what do you like about this section? Uh, yeah, again, the focuses and the talents. I think um, I just see there's a, uh, again, I haven't read this in a while. Under um, uh, 4,200 creating medicine characters, uh, some, uh, some new roles here, like your head nurse, chief surgeon, anesthesiologist, uh, physician's assistants. Like this is just more opportunities for, um, uh, for just interesting characters that you could play. So like if you are playing a medical focus game or if you just want to play a different kind of character, right? Yeah. You don't want to be the chief medical officer, but you want to be the head nurse or you want to be, um, you know, a PA on the ship. And, and that just gives you different storytelling potential. And, you know, here we are um, at the time of this rec- recording, we're f- four days away from uh, Stranger Worlds coming out. Yeah, three days away from Stranger Worlds coming out. And I know that uh, Nurse Chapel is yeah. going to be a, a big key character on that, along with Dr. Mbenga. And, um, you know, is Chapel a head nurse at this point in time? I'm not sure. Is she a phys- physician's assistant? But that's just another character that you could create. And, and just instead of being the chief of sciences or the chief engineer or the chief tactical officer or whatever, you could be, you know, this just could use some more options here to play with. And uh, again, I, I mentioned this in the... Um, the operations discussion, but again, taking those new roles in the player's guide and combining them with this gives you just a whole new wealth of potential. Like you could be a, a medical expert, or you could be a uh, enlisted officer on the ship in medical, and you could be a, a medical expert on the ship, and you could still use a lot of this content. So, yeah. um, I'm just the the, the, <laughs> the yeah, potential yeah, for this yeah. game is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I the should. division the division books are equal yeah. to you know. I, I just pictured taking it and curling up, going to Lake Tahoe, getting a cabin, getting a fire on, a glass of wine, and sitting here. <laughs> this is what I do. I flip through it and I just sit there with a blanket and I'm like, "There's so much you could do 
with these stories. Um, <laughs> one of the things I liked also about this book um, is chapter four about research and development. One of the things I'm going to push my players to do, and if you're a player, I'm going to push you to do it. And if you're a game master right now, I'm going to push you to push your players to do it and really get into understanding how scientists think. Yeah. We've talked about the scientific method before, but you can really stall a game if everyone just sits there waiting for the game master to tell them the answer. Mm -hmm. Star Trek Adventures is built that you explore, you ask why, you ask how things work, what's behind it, what's the motive. And I really found that chapter four about research and development takes what scientists actually do in real life and gets it into player form. Right. Um, not only does it, of course, talk about medical equipment, kind of like in the operations book where we talked about engineering equipment, mm -hmm. but it really makes you think about when you're interacting with something, what kind of questions to ask to figure out a solution. Um, what, what's your take on that, Jim? No, I think I think you're right. I think um, um, this is this is this harkens to how your characters should never be bored in a Star Trek game. Right. If, if, if a game master has presented you with a question or an issue or a situation, the, the first thing to do to not be bored is to ask why. Why is it doing what it's doing? Why is it not doing what it's supposed to be doing? Like, like that's the first step to a scientific, uh, you know, forming a theory and forming a, a solution is like ask, okay, we're presented with this situation. Why yeah. did it come to pass? Why is it not working? Why is it working the way it's working? I mean, just, just by asking a question and then doing something is so important to get into that Starfleet mindset where, you know, you're, you're playing a game, yes, obviously. And sometimes the game master might be running it out of a module or out of a pre-printed uh, adventure. But instead of just sitting there as a player waiting for the game master to spoon feed you, spoon feed you the next piece of information, be your character and ask why. Right, always ask why. Or, or even the five questions, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, just ask questions and asking those questions and spending some momentum and start rolling some dice, getting into some tasks. Uh, we'll start breaking the breaking it down into chunks, and then you can work with your other players to figure it out. So please don't be so, bored. So here's some game. Yeah. So here's some game master's guidance. So say for yeah. instance you're playing with a bunch of new players who aren't familiar with Star Trek, um, and you say you've just come across a subspace rift. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you're a new player, you're going to sit there and be like, "Well, what's a subspace rift?" Yep. Well, there's sections of this book, like on page 60, it talks about subspace rift. Read it to your players. Give it to them to read. Copy paste it if you're playing on Discord. The basics of what a Starfleet officer would know about the Q continuum, about subspace rifts, about temporal anomalies. So that now, just with that two paragraph, three paragraph explanation, the players have enough basis of Starfleet 101 that they can start asking those questions. So as a game master, don't leave them dry with techno babble. And mm -hmm. as a player, when you get this information, pick it apart, start asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought it was really cool in the R&D chapter here, how it covered a lot of those common tropes in Star Trek. And so if you're a game master, you have the responsibility to make sure people are up to speed so they can start playing the game with you, right? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, I would add, Michael, um, certainly giving your players stuff to read is, is valuable and worthwhile to give them the background, but not but. And another way to present this information, when you're, when you're players who don't know Star Trek that well invariably say, well, what is a subspace interfold matrix? You can have, you can have, you know, Lieutenant Smith 
a smile or whatever saying, well, as you know, Captain, <laughs> right, a, a, a subspace intermission phaser is blah, 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 blah. And you can give them the 10-second the spiel uh, explaining to the audience as you're explaining to the character. Um, and you can even add in the, that character's um, um, perspective, right, and color. Right? You can say, well, those good, good for nothing Klingons developed this technology in the late 2200s, and now they've they've um, you know spread their filth all across the uh, the beta quadrant and blah blah blah. And, and now you've added a little bit more nuance to it, right? But so you don't just have to hand your players something to read. You can you can fold it into the narrative. Yeah, um, but I mean, e each option is equally valid. Um, I just know that in my experience, like like handing a group of players something to read. In, invariably brings the game to a to a screeching halt because they're like, oh, now I've got to read this thing about what this anomaly is, as opposed to just kind of doing it organically. Um, there, there's a lot of tech, techniques around I it. I just wanted to throw this out there. As no, well. we've talked about it before. Actually, we talked about this in our um, section about the value of NPC characters, mm -hmm. and I wrote some articles on continuing mission about it. Is that I bring NPCs purely to bring up that conversation. Yeah. You're, you're right. I we we play over Discord, so I actually never just send a chunk of text to them. It's always in dialogue form in some, mm -hmm. some form. So I do have to agree with that. But as a game master, if you're unsure of how to state it, all the work's done for you here in this yeah. science book. Yeah. And that will launch the conversation. And again, my first thing is yes and. Don't worry about being perfect. Just have fun and make everyone feel intelligent like they're experts and you're going to have a lot of fun in your game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll add just as a piece of piece of color. This is one of the things that I really like about uh, playing online is that with Discord or Roll20 or other, you know, whatever, for, whatever format or uh, um, platform you're using, it is so easy to cut and paste something and do a private message to a player character or to a, to, a, to, a, to, a, to a player and say, here's this interesting piece of information that I'm going to introduce in the game. Now you now your character has this information folded into your role-playing, right? And so I'll, I'll send somebody the, the, you know, the, the five-line blurb about what is, a, uh, what, is a, what is a subspace manifold, you know, and what, why is it important? And I can give that to them in a private message so that nobody else knows it's coming. And then I can kind of introduce it in the game and then the player can take it and, and run with it and sound smart and uh, right and all the other players go wow yeah yeah and then and he goes yeah and i can sit back and say yeah i made you look good and that's good because that's good for the game exactly. so uh, just that's super cool little trick and technique there yeah yeah we're remember we're all doing the pseudoscience stuff you know we're, we're having fun we're, we're creating a universe here yep um, chapter five, using the sciences division is very similar to using the command division, using the operations division in that there are science and medical department storylines as mm -hmm. a quick summary so we don't repeat what we said before is it's showing you how to tailor games, no matter what they are for your particular type of character, medical or science. What I really wanted to focus on, um, Jim, with this chapter was chapter 5.3 about spatial and planetary phenomenon, which is super, super fun and necessary to know if you're flying a ship through outer space, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you, you, jump, you jumped ahead. Let me, let me jump over there. First. Yeah, I did. Because, a lot, again, we talked about plot components before and, and yeah. how to wrap characters, so I don't want to repeat our last two episodes. But, spatial. Um, yeah, spatial and planetary phenomena. Yeah, this is this is uh, just expanding on what was in the uh, core book, and uh, I, I'm willing to bet I, I don't have the the credits page in front of me, but I'm willing to bet that Aaron uh, Palaya wrote a chunk of this, 
because uh, this this just feels like him all over the place. Um, but it's just, it's just more stuff like, you know, your common layperson may not know much about nebulas or uh, novas and supernovas. But if you want to sound smart and you want it to sound plausible, this is probably enough to get you by uh, in most of your games. Now, of course, I know that Aaron is in your game and you're going to you personally are going to have a hard time sneaking anything scientific past him without him raising the red flag and saying, uh, wait a minute, Michael, what are you doing? <laughs> no, actually, I'm going to give credit. I'm going to give credit to Aaron. He is a king yeah. of yes and. He really does say, okay, if this is happening, it's obviously something new. Let's explore it. And then, you know, he maybe nudge me a little bit with an article from Nova or, <laughs> or, or NASA. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. But no, he's actually a really fun person to play with. Nice. Yeah. So just 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 a ton of more information in here for, for science, which is always useful. Um, I know that he did even more of this in the Shackleton book. So like if you've got the Shackleton science stuff and this science stuff and the stuff that's in the core book, you're you're probably set for the rest of your life as a Star Trek game master or player if you want it to sound, you know, good enough. Like, I mean, certainly you could take all this and then go buy some science books and do a deeper dive into specific, um, you know, scientific phenomenon or anomalies or nebulas or whatever. Um, but for those of you who are casual, Star Trek fans, and you you just want enough <laughs> to make it sound good. This this is going to help you so much um, for all the different things that you can come up with. And again, like I know you love plot hooks and plot ideas and plot seeds. Every everything in here is just full of that stuff. Well, and let me give game masters guidance again on how to use this. There's a lot of good terminology in here. So what I'll do, I'm I'm on page 91, black holes, neutron stars, and pulsars. I'm yep. in column two, line number four, and there's a term there called frame dragging. Okay, what's frame dragging? So what mm -hmm. I'll do is I'll cut and paste that term into Google, and now I end up in an article on frame dragging where it says frame dragging is an effect on space-time predicted by Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity that is due to non-static stationary distribution of mass energy. I'll cut and paste that sentence into the game because Aaron, who wrote this, gave me that one word, and then I can go sound professional by, by, so if you have Google or something, you can all of a sudden have these amazing conversations, even send your um, players the link and let them grab some terminology off of it too. And I let them create solutions based off maybe a sentence. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. I'm not gonna disprove this theory. Let's, let's have fun with it. So mm -hmm. there's enough, again, tidbits in this chapter to, to really give you just enough techno babble to sound Star Trek. You know, and of course, we know the true story is around the drama. Oftentimes, it's not about all the techno babble, but it's really about the the human, the human uh, condition. With yep. that, all right? Cool. Um, we've talked a lot about ships counselors before, Jim. We in fact dedicated uh, a grab bag episode about that a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. um, anything special that you want to focus on this chapter that you think people should be aware of about counseling? I think, you know, honestly, more than anything else, I just think you should be aware of it. I think um, because because we really we only see a counselor on Next Generation and then a little bit in Discovery season three and four when they when they started giving Culver more to do as as a quasi counselor, I think. Um, I mean, you had Guyton and even McCoy did a little bit of counseling. Yeah, the guy who were decks too, the guy with the glasses, the bird guy. Oh, yeah, was it Miglimo, Dr. Miglimo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, the, with the food references, right? <laughs> um, I just think, um, I, I think counselor, I think you would need the right group to do it well, but it would be just a really fascinating character to play, whether it's, you know, mixed in with another role 
or if that's just your uh, your main focus. But um, I think it's a good idea that they added it because, like, you have to think that you know, here's a ship of 100, 200, 300, even more people going out into the cosmos, and that's really your family for years. So if you're on a five year mission, that that's that's the people that you're with, and there's always something going to be going on. You, I mean, even in this day and age, we know all about post-traumatic stress syndrome and uh, all these other things that are out there. And like, you have to think that like, if you think of any given episode of Star Trek, like there's some really traumatic stuff that happens and just the nature of syndicated episodic television is like, they're all better the next episode for the most part. Um, They don't normally carry on the, the conversations, but like when something horrific happens to somebody, you know, it doesn't just go away. And I think that's something that discovery does a really good job of, of illustrating is that, you know, the the horrible stuff that you do that you experience you've got to live with it and you've got to work your way through it and you got to you need somebody that oftentimes you need somebody to help you through that and that's what trained counselors do um yeah so i think if a, if a group is willing to go to that level and to tell those kind of stories you definitely want to have a counselor and i i would think as much as i think a player captor or as much as i think a non-player captain is wasted, right? Because there's so much potential with the player captain as opposed to a non-player captain. I think a player, a player character counselor was would be really valuable because you can have those you can have those important conversations with the other characters. Uh, and there's just so much rich drama there to uh, to play with. Yeah, we definitely love ours on our ship. I, I hearken back to the focuses section two, where stress management was actually one of the new focuses that's mm-hmm. listed here, and I thought that was so appropriate for what life is like in space. Yeah. Well, um, we know that you love your role tables. And so chapter 5.5 focuses on creating aliens and gives a lot of cool options um, Mm -hmm. for how to create an alien. Was this the first time in any book that this was listed, how to roll up an alien, like where they come from, their culture and all that? Was that in the core rule book at all? Or is this an expansion on that? Oh, gosh, I'd have to remember. There's some stuff in the core rule book, but I don't think it's... um... I don't think it's uh, random dice rolling so much. I think, it, I mean, there's, you know, actually, you know what, there's uh, there's stuff in the core rule book about rolling, uh, creating planets, uh, and you do some random dice rolling. So this was, I think, the first place where we actually put in stuff about creating a, um, a culture and a species and all that other stuff. Yeah, and there were some, and there, I know it re- references the traits from chapter 10 of the core rule book, some of the special yeah. rules. So it does talk about that, but I just don't remember the rule table. So this is this is an expansion on, really, if you wanna just make random aliens, you could do that. Um, some mm-hmm. people just do pre-gens or whatever, but so I know a lot of people do enjoy making their own creatures and having those mm-hmm. rule tables available. Likewise, with the hostile environments and hazards on chapter 5.6, where um, there was a really good expansion on biological hazards on page 106, <laughs> which which instead of just, you know, sitting there as a game master, like, oh, what's dangerous about this planet? I actually use this quite a bit. Um, oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I really do. And I, I like it because we can't know all of the different situations on each different planet that are presented. And so I love getting ideas, even like fatigue. It talks about fatigue. I can create fatigue as a complication, Mm -hmm. which I never would have done unless I saw this before. And I started, you know, if if someone's going to have a 70 pound pack and they're going to, I tell them they got to walk 10 kilometers, Mm -hmm. sorry, a kilometer in, you're going to start feeling it. (laughs) Yeah. Fun fun anecdote here. So this, this book, I think we, um, if I remember right, Sam reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got a couple pages of the science book that we need to fill with content. What do you think? 
because I, I was edit, editing it at the time. And I, and, at the, and I was like, well, you know, I think we're, we're short. Uh, like we talk a little bit about hostile environments and hazards about like atmospheric conditions and gravity and temperature and how things can you know destroy you. But we don't really talk about like um, infectious diseases or, or wounds or um, just like, and I, I think I threw out a couple of examples like the, like the aphasia virus. And just like, I mean, obviously there's tons of examples in the shows of like the crew getting some weird disease or infection or parasite or something. And I was like, well, we don't really talk about that in here. And this would be a great opportunity to talk about because it it's a medical thing and it's a science thing. And he's like, okay, well, you got two pages, so write me a thousand words on something. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw the gauntlet down like that, so I took the easy way out. I reached out to Nathan. I said, hey, Nathan, I need to write a a section on um, you know biological hazards. Uh, have we done anything even remotely like this in any of the other two D twenty games? And he sent me a couple of pages of notes from um, Mutant Chronicles, I think, which was one of the other two D twenty games at the time. Okay. And I was like, well, I can adapt this. So I took his his stuff and I did the adaptation and I put the Star Trek, uh, you know, um, focus on it. And then I created all these um, examples, the Kalanora syndrome, the Psy 2000 virus and, and infected wound. You know, I just I, I created all those and threw it in here and uh, and thought, oh, this would be a good uh, template for people to use if they wanted to. And I'm not confident I've seen too many fans come up with their own biological hazards. So I'm just I'm happy to hear that you've been using them. Because yeah. I thought my intention, like when I was writing this, is that some creative fan would write like tons of examples and have them available for player characters and game masters to to use on like, like I could almost envision these being on a card, right? Yeah. Like here's the here's the hazia virus. Here's the vector, the virulence, the incubation, the intervals and the symptoms. And you could like, drop that into a game. And so like while your player characters are doing some, whatever the A plot is, right? All yeah. of a sudden here comes this B plot with this, uh, aphasia virus or psi 2000 virus or some weird thing that the medical officer has to deal with on top of everything else right we, we see that plenty of times in the shows so that was the intention behind this um, i don't know how well it hit or didn't hit but uh, um, again fans hey if you're out there and you've actually used this rules i would love to hear how you're using them like i don't i'm, I'm grateful if you'd like them because but i'm yeah. not looking for praise i just want to know if these are tools that you're actually using in your toolbox i'm i'm sure people are i know even i was using on page 108 weather I, I had a, a campaign where the entire B story was about crash landing on a class J planet, a, a transjovian planet. And uh -huh. I was here at everything from wind to radiation and going back a couple pages mm -hmm. to pressure and how that would affect people. And they barely got out of it with their lives. It was really an exciting um, thing. And again, instead of me sitting there and having to think like, oh, how does this work? I flip through the signs saying, oh, it's all there. Here's the rules. Let me get to playing and focus yep. on that instead of having to create mechanics mm -hmm. off the bat. I, I, think, I think weather was one of the weather was one of the little bullet points I added to the development of this just to say, hey, somebody should talk about weather. And the reason I did that is because uh, one of the many games, one of the many campaigns my co-GM and I were going to run back in the day was uh, was going to be a, um, a space station game. And we were going to do a station on a planet. And the, the planet was the whole shtick, right? It, it had all kinds of interesting things going on on the planet. And one of the things that we decided to build into it was this weather anomaly where every like every six months, some really significant storms would occur on the planet that would render it unable to communicate with the outside, you know, without, without the outside world. So like the, the crew of the station knew that for six months they would be isolated due to the storm patterns and, and phenomena and stuff. So we built in all kinds of interesting plot hooks around just the fact of the weather, 
right? Maybe you're an away team out there on a mission on the planet and you crash or something happens and you can't get back to the base in time. So you've got to weather that storm for a period of time. So we, we really try to, you know, focus on not so much space and, and adventure and stuff, but like you're on a planet and you've got to deal with the weather. You're dealing with hurricanes or tornadoes or just all the stuff that, you know, like here on earth, right? Like the weather can kill you if you're not careful. Well, I would have <laughs> totally, honestly, I think the one, the one roll table I made a hat here because I, for wind, I picked it randomly in our game. Actually, I think it's yeah. better to create a wind factor four to show that if you're going to try to fly a shuttle into this transovian mm. planet, good luck with that. But, but I could see a table where you roll a six-sided dice and five and six would be represent five, you know, but, but that would determine the random win factor for whatever you're doing. Cause, cause if you're trying to slow your players down, maybe they're on a planet, give them some win too. I mean, that's believable. You're on an alien planet and making everything more difficult, whether it's firing a phaser or mm -hmm. running up a hill, you know, um, there's all these little things that you could do to make it so much more interesting. And I love also the sources of radiation too. quick yeah, definitions yeah. for radiation. Again, it's something where you can go to memory alpha type in and see all the episodes where this radiation ever played out too. Mm -hmm. um, don't limit yourself to what's in the episodes or what's listed here. These radiations are magical plot tropes <laughs> <laughs> that can do so much. And yeah. so get really creative with them. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. And then again, like the other division books, um, we go into personnel. Um, some fantastic superstars of science are listed in here, including uh, Dr. Richard Daystrom. Um, you know, uh, these are names that drop all the time. Dr. Carol Marcus, man, I'm on the regular trip today, of course, the yeah. creator of the Genesis device. Um, and I love, I loved her value. Can I cook or can't I? That was so <laughs> great when she said that in Wrath of Khan, right? Uh-huh. Um, so you have some characters and you could pull them into your game. Don't think that just because you finish seeing them on TV or movies that that's the end of the story, right? No, absolutely. I mean, you, know, you think about Carol Marcus, right? When I mean, we only see her in the one movie, she's got a whole career before that movie. And no doubt she's got a career after that movie. And of course, I mean, she probably has to deal with the fallout from uh, the whole Genesis device, right? And she's probably sent to Starfleet to have a conversation. <laughs> that would yeah, be I saw the light bulb. Oh my God, that'd be an amazing lost era story. <laughs> yeah. That, in fact, I, I can think of a campaign that might find some benefit in the uh, tying Carol Marcus in it. Because I mean, there's so many well probes and you're you got it. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things you could do with it, right? I mean, hmm. think about God, okay, now we're gonna go down a, a rabbit hole, right? Because like you think about Carol Marcus, her 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 experiment was a success, but it was also a failure. Right. Right. And then because of her son, he, he did the illegal proto matter. He's proto matter. He wasn't supposed right, to. Right. Yeah. So 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 the moon uh, was the inside. The moon was a success. And then the torpedo blew up and created the Genesis planet. That was a abject failure, I guess. But her son was killed. Right. Yeah. So so coming out of Star Trek two and Star Trek three, what's Carol Marcus? Is she a is she a broken scientist who's like her career's over or does she like does the does the gear click differently in her brain and all of a sudden she's like a, she becomes like the mad scientist off to prove herself again and she does an even more dire experiment beyond the genesis device i mean what where could you go with that she i mean you could do anything really <laughs> i mean maybe she hasn't given up the story right maybe she wants to go do it again well, I'm going to go even further, and the, I always forget the character's name, the one in Voyage Home who worked at the Cetacean Institute who came forward. Oh, yeah, Jillian, uh, Jillian Taylor. 
Jillian Taylor. Imagine if Jillian Taylor approached Dr. Marcus to say, hey, let's let's terraform a planet for whales so the cetaceans can actually procreate. And she has to convince convince Marcus to go back into the research to save the cetaceans. And Starfleet might approve that. Starfleet might approve that. Or Starfleet says, hell no. And 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 Carol Marcus says, okay, well, screw you guys. I'm gonna go talk to the Romulans, or I'm gonna go talk to the Klingons, or I'm gonna go talk to some other polity and, and get funding that way. And and then so now Carol Marcus has gone rogue with uh, with some sort of thing. And now the now the crew is fa- is forced to go track her down. Where okay. where is Carol Marcus? She's I think we the, just did our session. Rogue scientist. I think we just did our session zero. <laughs> All right, all right. As you can see, everyone. Anyway, so you can see how these how these books can yeah. impact you because you can just take a, a one character and, uh, and and you know what this is not, not to digress even further, but like this is something that that I really like to do, and I think this this just sparks uh, conversations I've been having on social media with fans who who are who are very vocal in their distaste for discovery. Uh, but like the setting, right? And I would say, well, look, if you buy the discovery, or if you look at the discovery book, then don't buy it. But whatever, I'm not plugging it. But um, like, if you just look at the setting, there's so much potential in the setting. There's so much content in the setting. You can take just little setting bits and pieces out of it, and just go blow it up and to do and do some amazing things. So like you and I just riffed on Carol Marcus for ten minutes, yeah. and all of a sudden, like I'm thinking about her being like this this super desperate scientist looking out looking to prove herself or to prove her. Uh, her uh, um, her experiment, and so she goes rogue with some some third party polity, and uh, and wreaks havoc. Try to resurrect her dead son. That's the question. It was done oh, with man. Oh wow, you got dark. <laughs> yeah. So so bring in the whole uh, augment illegal augment uh, uh, g- genetic uh, manipulation kind of stuff. And when she contacts uh, Nunyan Soong, who's in you know, when she contact. Uh, Dr. Soom, who's in here, who's, you know, there's just so many, my, our point being this, these books are purely seeds to a uh-huh. great story. And again, I'll say it again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Those of you who are complaining about what you're seeing, we challenge you to write a better story with Star Trek Adventures RPG. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear about it. We'll always Definitely. be happy to post your story, continuing missions, and let the critics open themselves up to you like you open yourselves up to, <laughs> to <laughs> shows. So, so, so strap it on and, and write the play this game and 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 let's see, let's see the better stories you feel you can create. That's the challenge we give you with Star Trek Adventures RPG, which I yeah. Truly and in fact, I'll, I'll harken back to something I think you said in the previous episode about how uh, how writers maybe are using maybe using this content. Like it, maybe you're not a gamer, right? Maybe maybe you don't want to play the game or don't know how to play the game or you don't have a group of friends online or in life that you want to play. But maybe you know maybe you're a fiction writer. Maybe you're writing Star Trek fanfic. You know nothing wrong with that. You know a lot of us have got got started writing fanfic. Use these books as 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 plot hooks and and uh, idea generators, right? Um, like like you know. Um, Michael and I just riffed on Carol Marcus. So, you know, maybe take take an idea like that from one of these books and write some cool fanfic. You know, uh, maybe, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, Burnham uh, uses her time suit and, and uh, gets involved with Marcus and uh, they both go back in time to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're coming to this in this episode, but I'm telling you right after I'm doing this, I'm going to research Carol Marcus because I don't even, I don't think a novel's ever covered what happened to her after. If I'm wrong, someone write me but I'm now dying to know what happened to Carol Marcus as a character. She's fascinating. I honestly don't recall. 
Um, I'm sure she's come up in a novel somewhere, but what's her, what her actual fate is, I'm not sure has been has been told yet. So we'll have to. That'll be a good sign. That'll be a good research project, Michael. I'd love to hear what you've come up with. I'm going to look into that because because uh, her and also Jillian Taylor. I think Jillian Taylor is the name he said. Is yeah. have always fascinated me. Like, where did this person who, like DTI Dem- Department of Temporal Investigations had to come after her at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, where's that story? Where did she right. end up? There's mm-hmm. all these questions. Oh boy, but that's science in Star Trek. It never ends, which is which is of course why we why we wanted to highlight this third of the division books. Anything else before we wrap up, Jim? Uh, I'm just I'm just being reminded. I'm looking at the NPCs. Of course, we we put a whole bunch of science NPCs in here, not just the name characters from the movies and the shows and stuff, but a Starfleet research scientist, a terraformer. So if you want to get into some terraforming. Of course, that's a perfectly legal uh, operation, you know, the Genesis torpedo notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, Vulcan Science Academy Professor Emeritus. Sure, you can put you can put him in a story or her or them in a story somewhere. Uh, astrocartographer, what a great NPC that could be. Um, I, I just I just imagine like um, on a galaxy class ship, like somebody's gonna be in charge of the stellar cartography lab. And what if it's this particular character, like and you really need some information and they're gonna be really persnickety about uh, how you go about getting it? Maybe it's like a Zach Dorn or something, and yeah. they want to be—they want to be very precise about what you're looking for, and you have to be very specific. Uh, professor, xenobiology, xenobiology department head, science officers, uh, more supporting characters, grad student, grad student, lab, I was really lab cool. technician. Yeah, I thought grad student was actually really cool as a new one. They have a specialist, yeah. and uh, lab tech is actually what I use to write Linus for the Star Trek mm. Discovery pack because that's basically all we saw him doing was doing lab experiments. So that was my basis for him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So just, uh, just a wealth of cool stuff in here for sciences. I, I, again, you know, like with the command book, um, I haven't looked in this book for a while. Um, I, I, like I said, from time to time, I flip through it just for ideas and just to um, look at the art, just to be inspired. Um, but it having, I haven't done a deep dive like this in a while. So it's just great to see, great to see all this, all this great content again, because now it's been, what, five years, four years, five years since I've looked at it in depth. Um, if the universe so. favors us, uh, Jim, then we'll live out that Twilight Zone episode where you come to the Bay Area for some reason, a massive earthquake hits, and we are trapped only with our Star Trek adventures, books, our dice, and plenty of canned food for for generations to last us so we can one day play out all the stories we fa- uh, fantasize about. And unlike the Twilight Zone, our glasses won't fall off and shatter so that we can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember that episode. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. But again, endless, endless gaming for an endless universe, which is mm-hmm. so awesome. All right, Jim. Whew, so my brain's exploding right now. I want to go right. And so thank you for <laughs> another continuing conversations um we we want to do our shout outs as normal we have three uh brick and mortars we want to shout out because brick and mortars are so key to -hmm. keep rpg alive uh david rice sends us black knight games in hamilton ontario canada canada sam ferguson yada quest in cincinnati ohio and hobie koban Nagwa Sangya Regan, loving your name, bro. Enchanted Grounds, Littleton, Colorado. They've got the tricorder set there. Pick it up. It's fun. We did the unboxing of it a couple weeks ago. Who do you want to shout out, Jim? 
Oh boy, you know, you, you cover you cover the gamers, uh, the gaming gaming source so well, and I think I've covered the the staff and the I mean just everybody, Modifius and all the freelancers. So I just uh, for this one, I'll keep it on theme, and and thank. I mean, this is going to be such a huge thank you, right? All the scientists that informed Star Trek and inspired Star Trek, and all the science advisors who worked on Star Trek shows to like help make the science sound plausible. Um, and then thank you to all the all the writers who developed science and quasi science and everything that helped inform this book and all of our books, really. But um, all, all Star Trek, right? Just um, it, it's so great that people were able to take some of these big concepts and and like kind of distill it down so that the layman like me can, can get it and be inspired by it. But also sometimes they put some really technical stuff in there that make the the more hardcore scientists like, oh yeah, okay, that makes that works. <laughs> yeah, and Star Trek, uh, and yeah. it's, that Star Trek makes me love math and science. It makes mm. me want to understand it, and I and it's just what's our appetite for what is true out there. This, the yeah. Math is fact. Math is science. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, and so and for kids, I think again, getting them interested in science in this way is a great bridge. And for me, that's probably why I watch every episode of Nova that I can. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I mean, at, at my heart, I love it. I love it so much when TV shows hit the sense of wonder button, and I can just, I can just sit back and be in awe of what I'm seeing. I mean, whether it's special effects or just the concepts that are coming up, I think uh, that's what really excites me about Star Trek is just that sense of wonder. Like, like you know, you're on a spaceship in the great big galaxy, and there's just so much cool stuff to see, like like a pulsar or or a nebula or a, or just something happening. It's just like wow. That's just like, like me personally, that, that's my, that's my form of escapism. And that's why I play role-playing games is be, for me, for especially Star Trek. Because like, I mean, a lot of people want to be the hero with the sword and, and killing the bad guy and killing, vanquishing the dragon. And that's totally cool. Um, I used to be in that mold and now I've, I've gotten older and it's like, I want, I know that I personally am never going to leave earth, right? I'm never going to get into a, into a ship and get into orbit. It's just the nature of the beast, right? There's just no way to do that right now. Um, unless I pay a ridiculous amount of money to Elon Musk or something and get shot up in orbit, <laughs> but like, so I know that like I don't ha will not have that opportunity, and so like I can imagine it though I can be a character doing these things, and like the more a game master or a TV show or a movie can can push my sense of wonder and let me imagine things that I can only see through the Hubble uh, space telescope or the pictures that NASA provides us or something. That's what really gets me excited about. Uh, about star trek is, is that, that that sense of something bigger than myself is way out there somewhere and now i get to either i get to imagine it or i get to see it with a with a picture or something yeah well i'm gonna say never say never and hopefully you get up in space <laughs> we'll see. i get up in space one day yeah we'll see i, I have faith <laughs> oh but but importantly michael huh? do you have faith of the heart yes nothing's gonna nothing's gonna <laughs> stop me nothing's gonna stop me. all right and on that note <laughs> all right good well everyone idic keep it going live long and prosper be safe be well we'll talk to you next time take care everybody